Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are talking to Yazin Al-Kadmani. Yazin is a seasonal organic farm manager who has developed and overseen a proven hybridization of large-scale organic farming, agritourism, and retail in the UAE. With over a decade of experience, he has transformed over 25 hectares of arid land into a profitable wholesale and direct-to-consumer farm and tourist destination. He also established 3Y AgTech, an agritech consulting firm to address the regional food security challenges, which brings together the expertise of experienced consultants, developers, and farmers. Hi, Azen. It's so great to have you with us today. How are you doing? Hello, Maria. Thank you for having me. You know, I'd love to begin by getting to know a little bit of your story and what made you get into the business that you're involved today. So I got into the farming industry through the family business. As many farms usually are are family-owned, Emirates Biofarm carries that same uh, legacy. My father came into the UAE in the early 70s with the founding of the country as an agriculture engineer from Syria. And since then, he started working in research farms and established greenhouse building, irrigation system contracting, fertilizer and manufacturing and so on. So Emirates Biofarm is the natural progression of that heritage. Got it. And and just to understand, so I imagine that your family was more on the traditional side of the business and you got the tech to it, or do they already have a foot on the tech side as well? Well, we have an interesting split kind of. So my brother is very, very involved in the high tech and the controlled environment agriculture in terms of hydroponic controller units and LED lightings and so on. And a lot of the innovative projects that have been established in the UAE, he was involved in as well. And that is where the consultancy comes into play. So like I said, my father was in the in the construction of a lot of the buildings. My brother was more of the tech and I operated and sold and managed the farm. So it's kind of a division of expertise, but also sharing of of a lot of these expertise and know-how. Great, great. So let's go now specifically about biofarm. I imagine that, you know, building an organic farm through sustainable farming practices right in the middle of the desert must be, at the very least, you know, must require a lot of investments, a lot of technologies. I'd love if you could share with us what were the main challenges to overcome and is there still any challenge that needs to be better addressed? Yes, um, definitely. We are, as you know, very arid climate uh, desert, which means you are starting, there is no such thing as soil in the traditional sense. We have sand, desert sand, and you have uh, extreme high temperatures and fluctuations at night it could get very cold and in the middle of the day it's it's quite warm you have lack of rainfall of course so you're getting challenges in terms of water use so these are all challenges that of course we we faced initially but as i was trying to say also the uae had this agriculture if you would say revolution or agriculture industry boom throughout the past 30 40 years where people were 
establishing what's possible to grow in the sand. How can you develop the sand? We kind of took that and pushed it forward as much as we can. And that, that's why we gained the recognition for being innovative in, in what we do. Most of the technology we're using is, is quite basic and traditional. It's more about application and the methods of farming where organic farming and regenerative farming in reality hasn't been around that long as an established science. And with our unique challenges, that means that we have to come up with our own solutions for our own uh, challenges. So there's always innovation to be developed. There's always new ways of doing things that, that make things you know, exciting. That's for sure. We've been covering frequently food tech and agri-tech here in Future Hacker. And what we're realizing is there's so much more to, to learn, to explore, and to investigate so many ways to go. It's pretty exciting, really. One of the main issues when talking about food waste is the logistics piece. So we already learned here with other guests that in some countries, a big part of the production is lost on the way from the producer to the final consumer. It gets up to 40%, depending on your region. So in your opinion, how to address that? In terms of food waste or food loss at the farm, we have a multitude of reasons for, for what would be called food loss, food that was grown that, that doesn't reach the, the market. So you could have food loss due to bad quality or bad crop. You could have a mismatch between supply and demand where you grew a, a quantity that the market doesn't require. Or it could be odd-shaped or a different color or problematic in any way in terms of size and doesn't fit the standards that the market, especially when you go larger scale, you're going to need more uniformity and, and there's going to be more stringent requirements. So you're going to have a lot of reasons for food loss. Of course, each one of them has its own way of, of trying to tackle that issue. For us at the farm, of course, trying to produce for the demand trying to educate the consumer on the issues of the modern food systems that we have today. If everything is, is built for efficiency, unfortunately, it's not resilient. What happens is if there's any bump along the way, if the crop is not the size or the shape it should be, then, then the food systems, the current food systems that we have are just built on, on very high efficiency on standardization. So you, you have a lot of issues when it comes to that if you need to change the way we are doing things. If you need to say, no, we don't want to standardize as much. We don't want to waste as much. So education is very important. Another aspect is, of course, the circularity on a farm. So can I, for example, instead of discarding, which, of course, farmers aren't going to do, the, 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 the least they're going to do is compost it. But I mean, can it go from compost to be a mushroom compost base for you to establish mushroom farming? Or can it be feed for insects? And can you establish a lab where you're developing black soldier fly or, or crickets or, or what have you, and, and then you can create feed for poultry or for fish? So the idea of circularity, using technology to control all these aspects, using technology to reduce uh, quality issues, using technology to estimate demand in the market, and planting and planning better. So like I said, there's many, many aspects to food loss. And I think there, there's many, many solutions that we're trying to work on. And then, of course, going back to the basics, you know, humanity didn't create pickling and, and jams out of nothing. It was, it was created for 
to reduce our waste, to use the product that we can use in the season to extend its shelf life. So more of that on farms, which is like basically going back to the family type farming and and family run farms and uh, farmers markets. And then, of course, there's startups that are very interesting that could be that sell, let's say, container that fits what you need. You need pickling or you need jam or you need whatever it is tomato paste so that the container comes with the tech inside it and it could be shared in harvest season between a couple of farmers and a startup could move it around could create new products based on the waste so be agile nimble use ai to to look at nutrition to look at profiles to look at added value products that can be created so there's a lot of exciting things that are coming up in the in the agriculture space when it comes to food waste that's super, super interesting. So many exciting opportunities out there. You know, let's let's talk about greenhouses now. So unlike the greenhouses built to protect the harvest from the cold weather, which is what we're used to see, the greenhouses in the UAE is quite the opposite, right? So how to make it work for such an extreme heat conditions? And as you mentioned, it's not only extreme heat. You have all those turns of the weather that is, it can get really, really hot and then really cold on the same day as well. So what changes and how did you have to adapt the greenhouses to the, the climate over there? Yeah, so the, the, the greenhouse technology obviously is the base base of like controlled environment agriculture, where you are able to have some control on, on the temperature, on the humidity, on, on a few aspects. And as you said, it was developed in cold weather climate, where you have a glass house, the, the sun rays come in, and the heat gets trapped inside. So we are still having the sunlight coming in and the heat is getting trapped inside. So this is problematic for an area that, that's already hot, but you need the sunlight to grow the crops. So here, traditionally, they use something called the fan and pad cooling system, which is a very basic evaporative cooling method using water. The issues with it is that it's water intensive. It uses more water than the irrigation itself. So in reality, there are some people that are looking to kind of change that. What if we can, instead of using fresh water for cooling, what if you're using seawater, very saline water? So we have people in, in Saudi Arabia called uh, Red Sea Farms that are doing R&D in, in that space, trying to use seawater for cooling. Others are trying, of course, there's different misting systems and fogging systems and climate control. And then when you go into the extreme high tech, you're basically in a warehouse. It doesn't matter if you're in a cold climate or in a hot climate relatively. You're inside an insulated warehouse and you use LEDs for the sunlight and you use AC for your climate control. Now, the main challenge with that is you're solving for water and temperature control, but the carbon footprint becomes immense. The capital expenditure becomes immense. So we're trying to find this right balance between resource use, so water use, energy use, and then using the free resources that we have. You know, if I am not in Holland or, or England where it's it's cloudy a lot of the time of the year. We have excellent sunlight, stable weather throughout the year when it comes to, to sun energy. So why use LEDs when I can use that sunlight? So it's how to adapt the tech to our region. But in reality, you know, I think we just have to go throw out the initial design and start over. But it's an extreme challenge, really. 
and that opens the questions I'm always wondering if we can go more a bit underground to insulate. Is there really a necessity to grow in the summer if you're only limited to a few crops when the costs and the energy use is so high? So yeah, these are all questions. The greenhouse is a challenging one and this is how we're, we are solving it here in the UAE and uh, we're trying to develop uh, different methods for cooling that's more sustainable, obviously. Super, super interesting. So, you know, we're still talking about all those researching that you've been doing. You told me that you've been, you know, as part of your job as a consultant, you research about new technologies all around the world, right? To see what you could learn from and what you could adapt specifically to your market. Are there any good cases you'd like to share? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I'd like to say is that a lot of times, unfortunately, what we're doing is that we are lumping agriculture, this tremendously huge industry that employs, I believe, 40% of the world. Agriculture is a huge, huge industry with things like somebody that's fish farming or somebody that's growing mushrooms or somebody that's growing open field crops, soy and, and wheat and corn and maize and rice and somebody doing vegetables and tomatoes and somebody doing fruit trees. They rarely have anything in common with each other. So saying, you know, the future of agriculture is this technology or that technology is unfortunately, you know, it, it's misleading because it's it's letting people think, okay, we're going to grow everything indoors when in reality, we, each type of crop, each type of agriculture has different challenges. But for us, for what we're doing here, you know, maybe this one isn't the traditional answer you would expect, but oyster farming. So over here, a business was set up called uh, Debebe Oysters. They were able to establish that they can farm oysters here from start to end in eight months compared to a traditional two to three years in France and Japan. And they're doing it in the open ocean. It doesn't consume resources. So sustainability-wise, it's excellent. But yeah, I'm always, sometimes simpler is better. I know we're all, we're all looking for controlling every single aspect from the CO2 to, to the humidity, to the lighting, to everything, trying to reach that goal of productivity per square meter, the holy grail of, you know, increasing productivity per square meter. But sometimes, you know, some of the simplest solutions and unique products that weren't, you know, traditionally produced here for food, you introduce them and somehow the environment works very, very extremely well for them. I believe in shade houses as well. So greenhouses that don't have, that are very extremely low tech because we have excellent winter, six months of excellent sunlight and weather. So what's the name again? Shade houses? Yeah. So instead of a greenhouse that, that's covered in plastic or glass, it's just covered in a, in a shade cloth that permits the ambient weather to be inside and outside. It allows breathability, but it protects from a lot of the adverse climate, from direct sunlight. It's a structure. It allows vertical growing, and uh, you can have uh, some high-tech hydroponics in there. It's just you don't extend your season for the summer, but you save a lot of money in cooling, in water use, in so much that we're trying to chase for these extra two, three months usually. And in a simple way, right? And I love what you said. We are searching for, we are talking about technology. We are talking about so many complex things. And sometimes the answer is on nature itself, right? Correct. It's the reality is if we want to be sustainable, because today we're not just talking about technology. We're talking about technology, not just producing food. 
We're talking about technology, finding a solution for the problems we're facing around the world in terms of sustainability, in terms of water use and energy use. So yes, I can use this technology, but I am looking at the footprint and then that's where the challenges come in. So that is why, you know, I think, as I said, agriculture is huge. And with that also, regional food, regional food systems cannot be the same everywhere in the world, right? We need to be consuming, we need to producing what's suitable for our climate, for our environment. And that is the only way to find a sustainable way of producing and consuming food. You have to do it regionally and locally. It makes a lot of sense to me. And when thinking about the future of agriculture, we have, we have to see which are the local challenges. So maybe vertical farming could make sense in a high dense population or something like that, or in which the access is really hard and logistics would be too complex. And who knows, maybe in the UAE, something underground, as you just mentioned, that should be explored. So a lot of great opportunities everywhere, but not really one technology that will dominate the future or anything like that, which makes it even more exciting, right, Yasin? I have a, a last question for you. So it's a common discussion how, you know, technology will completely change the jobs of the future, how it will affect unemployment and human qualification. We've been talking here on Future Hacker, basically any topics that we talk about, you always have the qualification education side to discuss as well. When it comes to farming, I'm curious, as currently family farms produce more than 80% of the food in the world. So do you believe that, you know, this model that we have today, that most of, of our food comes out from family farms, they will be able to keep up with, you know, qualification, education and technology. I'm talking about decades ahead, right? Will they be eventually substituted by just big tech agri-labs and players? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, especially we already kind of see when it comes to, well, I guess alternative milks isn't, isn't the best because we're going plant-based versus animal, but you can kind of see the change in the industry that, that it affects. But yeah, if we're going inside the lab to produce meats versus traditional farming, there's a lot of downstream production that will get affected from feed to pasture land and so on. And then also, as you said, automation. An indoor farm today, whether it's vertical or not, could be so fully automated that, you know, four guys can run a quite large operation. So definitely that's something to, to consider that how will the future look like for the people that rely on these jobs. But I think also there's a flip side, which I'm very hopeful about, you know, technology that we're talking about is cutting edge technology. But in reality, there's still like Farming, as you said, and this large scale, uh, this large percentage of farming that's being done, still think drip agriculture, drip irrigation is, is higher tech, right? There's still very flooding and sprinkler systems and very manual. So today with the internet, with the sharing of know-how, there's a lot of interesting things happening in the space where now I can have sensors on my farm for very, very low cost compared to what it was before. This technology and the know-how and the knowledge is, is now being available to a lot of people. And interestingly enough, even some of the poorest regions would still have some version of a smartphone in the family. And, and that allows you to basically have a computer in your palm. It gives you access to information. It gives you access to software. It gives you so much. And with the right kind of tech that's mixing high tech or medium tech with cheaper more intuitive or 
more inventive ways of doing things in, in a cheaper way. I see a lot of really unique, cool stuff happening in, in places you wouldn't expect, in smallholder farms that are just being innovative just because they're, they now have access to information that they didn't before. Just to give you, you know, an anecdote, most of these farms that you're talking about before got all their information or the only person they knew with an agriculture engineering degree was the guy selling them seeds and pesticides. So they relied on him for identifying issues and how to solve it and how to farm and maybe their neighbor and so on. But really, the Internet has opened up a whole new world. And I think we're going to see a lot of benefit from that. That's really exciting. Thank you so much, Yazin. It was lovely to have you on the show. Definitely, as we keep interviewing people about future of farming, future of agriculture and food, it's just endless. All the exciting things that are about to happen and they're happening already. And that's definitely something that we will keep searching for, anything new. So it was really great to have you with us. If you'd like to have any final words for our listeners, please be my guest. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. At Emirates Biofarm, you know, one of the things that we got well known for is agritourism as well. So we're combining education with research, with farming, and it allowed people to, to come and see farming on, on a large scale, but also learn more about older ways of farming and organic agriculture and so on. So the second thing is that in the UAE, it's, it's becoming a very fast-paced, exciting place for ag tech firms because this, the problems we're trying to solve for are probably what so many other countries are going to face in the near future or in, in the longer term. But we're hearing it you know, from droughts and, and arid and water encroachment and, and drop in the water table and higher heat and, and desertification. So basically, we're already there. So what we're doing here, I think, is, is quite important. If people in the ag tech space, you know, they feel like they have a solution for these things. I think the UAE is an excellent place to come and, and try and set up. And, and there's a lot of programs for R&D and, and government support. So tell me, for people that are interested on the agritourism over there, what's the way to go? Any website that they could start researching the biofarm? Yeah, sure. They, they can visit emiratesbiofarm.com. It's on Instagram and our own website. We open in the season, so we just closed for the summer season just for guests. It becomes quite hot. So we start up again in October. It's kind of the flip side of the northern countries where the frost for them stops in April and they plant. For us, we kind of, it's the end of our season. And then we start in, in November when in the northern countries, they stop because frost is coming in when you talk about open field. So we're kind of this flip side of, you know, Canada, European agriculture. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Yaz, and then thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.